Hello, this is the Online Resilience Podcast with me, Louisa Street, and Professor Andy Fippin. We're discussing all aspects of young people's online lives and giving practical advice on how to support the young people you work with. Music is by Rue Pestel. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Online Resilience Podcast. Um, Today we're going to be looking in a bit more detail at potentially harmful behaviours. Um, we've got a few examples that we're going to go through to look at what what we kind of mean when we say potentially harmful um, and what you can do. Um, within the tool itself, we kind of say potentially harmful behaviours aren't a reason not to act. It's not it's not an excuse to say, well, it might be OK, it might not be. If you recognise a behaviour as potentially harmful, it's really important that you have a conversation with the young person to find out a bit more about what's going on or have a have a conversation with their parent or carer depending on the age of the young person the context around the young person um and we'll we'll kind of look at a few examples of this but I mean if a child comes into nursery and says I've been doing you know I've been playing this game then it might set off a lot of um alarm bells because you might think oh I don't think they should be playing that that seems a bit old for them or um something to that effect you might have a conversation with a child, you might have a conversation with the parents, and it might be um, that in talking to the parents or, or carers, uh, that they say, oh, well, um, you know, they they are allowed to play that game, but only with heavy supervision. It's it's not that they're kind of allowed to spend hours whiling away the time on, you know, what could be a potentially high risk uh, game for a young person, in which case you could then really clearly place that as a not harmful behaviour, Or it might be that in talking to the parents or carers, you feel that actually that child is being allowed to um, just play age-restricted games that are potentially going to be harmful um, if they're playing them unsupervised. And then you might need to do more. You might need to kind of um, look at your safeguarding, what support you can offer the parents to to kind of do something about that. So that's one example. (laughs) But we're (laughs) going to look in a little bit more detail at some other examples. And the first one that we've got is knowing passwords to parents' devices um, and being able to bypass parental controls. So, Andy, why would knowing passwords to parental devices potentially be harmful for young people? Um, For all sorts of reasons. I I think we're going to, like, I think a lot of the things we're going to explore in this is very much around this concept of excessive access to information or or um, sort of, if you like, like, I always fall back on what sometimes refer to as surveillance culture. Yeah. Um, it immediately poses the questions on why they need that access. I mean, there are some fairly fundamental reasons why there tends to be problems if that parent is you know, controlling, um, filtering or, or mm-hmm. monitoring or whatever through their device, then, <laughs> then clearly, um, you know and, and you do see these you have these conversations with parents go, oh yeah we've got filters set up but we get the kids to do it because we don't know how to do it and stuff um, which, yeah. <laughs> um so so there's that that side of things in that if you are putting ground rules in place and then the young people have the means to bypass those ground rules um that can be somewhat problematic but but also a parent's device is generally might have content on it that is inappropriate for a young person or might have the sorts of accesses that the young person's device doesn't have you know we, we've yeah. talked about harmful behavior we've talked about pornography within the harmful behavior section things and um i've had frequent conversations with politicians about this sort of thing going, oh you know we should just filter everything it's like you know 
parents look at porn too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when there was the the demands for um, default on filtering in the home, and then uh, they expected everyone to take it up, and then it turned out there was the take it was I can't remember what the Ofcom official stats were around thirty to forty percent, and people were going, why aren't more people taking it up? Because because they like accessing adult content. That's why. <laughs> um, it's not an unusual thing for an adult to do. Um, or there might be intimate pictures. You know, if you know, they might be exchanging intimate images with their partner. You know, all those adult things yeah. that, that maybe we don't want young people to access. It might be conversations we don't want them to see. Yeah. Um, you know, a young person accessing their parents' device and then seeing their parents rowing on WhatsApp is yeah. a particularly pleasant experience either. Definitely. And I mean, I'm really guilty of just having everything on my phone set up with uh, just Face ID. So any app that you go into, it'll just, uh, you know, do Face ID. And I've, I've set up different passwords for different apps, but I've also set up Face ID for all of them so that I don't have to put them in. Now, with Face ID and with thumbprint recognition, um, you can add more than one face. You can add more than one thumbprint or fingerprint. Um if if you're doing that if you're uh saying to a child well you are always playing on my phone and it's really annoying for me to have to keep on putting my password in or, or whatever so i'm just going to set you up with um thumbprint id that could potentially mean that that child could then be buying stuff on your amazon account mm -hmm. could be transferring themselves money from your online banking <laughs> like you know all of those sorts of things that if you've got that set up to be a universal thing across all your apps that could be problematic um yeah. and i think you know that's that's kind of the difference between with the youngest age group it would be potentially harmful because of what they might see with the older age group it could be potentially harmful because of what they might do <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah yeah all of a sudden you discover that there's three thousand pounds being spent on your credit card or something <laughs> yeah. and then you're sat there going oh well, why didn't amazon stop this from happening it's like well they provided a whole bunch of passwords and yeah. <laughs> with with face ID, have they sorted out the eyes closed thing yet? Um, oh, I don't know. I've got it set up to attention, which means if I'm not looking at my phone um, or if oh, I've got my okay. eyes closed, it won't. Uh, and I did that because I watched you, the Netflix show, and um, the girl didn't have the attention thing set up on her phone. So after she'd been murdered, the murderer was able to open her yeah. phone. And I was like, well, I really don't want that to happen. <laughs> I think there's a less extreme example of if you're asleep and your partner decides to unlock your phone. Yes, exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, know, I mean, I have fingerprint on everything and no one else has fingerprint to mine, but that's because I'm a, I, I, I write a great deal about surveillance and <laughs> yeah. access to information and things, and I like to practice what I preach. But um, yeah, the Face ID one always like intrigued me because it feels like it's a good idea. However, there are a lot of problematic behaviours with it. So yeah, yeah. I know the early versions of endlessly unlocking people's phones when they were asleep and things. So. Yeah. Or if you've been murdered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, I think having those things in place, and you know, if you're going to set up Face ID, saying actually this is just for me, and if if my children or my partner want to use my phone, they're going to have to ask my permission um i think that is a is a very different situation to just setting them up so they can do whatever they want yeah. um another thing that people might find useful i'm not sure you can do this with phones but i know you can do it with tablets is you can set up something called guided access 
So if you've got a tablet that is just yours, um, which you might do all sorts of adult things on, um, you but you want to allow your children to play games on it, you can um, set a game up, put it into guided access, and they will not be able to navigate away from that game. They won't be able to close it. Um, they won't be able to lock the tablet. It will just be stuck on that thing until you come along and put your password in. Um, and that might be something, some, you know, a helpful alternative to having parental controls on a device that might be your own device and you might not want mm -hmm. to set parental controls mm -hmm. up on. Yeah, you certainly have different accounts. But I think, you know, it's, it is the sort of thing. Being a parent is only one of the roles of being an adult. So yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean, oh, well, I've got to have... Uh, you know my device needs to be squeaky clean because i'm a parent now and it might you know get in their own device or something yeah um so so yeah i think that you know and similarly to that accessing parental controls and you know if you are going to use the tools that that provide um ways to to block and and filter and monitor then um it's kind of a bit of a pipe dream, really, if then your your children can access them and switch them off. Yeah, them. definitely. Um, and I mean, in terms of bypassing parental controls, we've said that it's harmful up to eight years old. But then beyond that, it you know becomes less harmful because as as children get older, those parental controls are probably going to be less necessary for a lot of things. Um, for thirteen and up, we've said it's not harmful for them to bypass those controls. Mm -hmm. If they are doing that, it might be a case of needing to have a chat with the parents about, you know, actually, if you've got parental controls set up and your kids are just bypassing them, maybe it's time to have a conversation about their access and what, what they're actually allowed to do. Because, and the, you know, the, the reality of what these controls can provide, um, yeah. you know, for, for very young children, it's fine because they're not going to be wanting to look up stuff around sort of gender and sexuality and sexual relationship education and similar. Yeah. Um, which will frequently get blocked alongside sexual content and similar. Um, but if you are constantly monitoring the communications of a 15 year old, then you might like to reflect on why you're doing. That. Yeah. And, you know, you might have kids of very different ages in a house as well. So it might be that you have very strict parental controls and your 15 year old bypasses them and the eight year old can't. And, you know, mm -hmm. that, that would be an interesting approach to, to kind of getting around it's why I always think that potentially harmful is probably the most interesting because it, it's very much the crux of what we talk about all the time is that this is about conversations and tools can provide support for these conversations. But yeah. most of the potentially harmful is you need to find out more about this and um, definitely have a conversation and create an environment where the young person is comfortable talking about things and not feeling like they've got into trouble because they've accessed their mum or dad's phone. Um, but, you know what did you see on it <laughs> yeah because they, they might be upset by what they've seen and then think oh i'm not allowed to do you know there's lots of reasons why there's potential harms there but um definitely but, yeah needs a conversation absolutely um so the next one that we're going to look at is accessing the deep web um and we were just prior to starting recording we were reflecting on this behavior being in our education category um which uh, is, is kind of because it's all about accessing information. Um, and we've put accessing deep websites um, using browsers such as Tor to explore what is there. And we've said that that's not applicable up to eight years old because probably a child eight years or under wouldn't be able to 
access the deep web on their own. Um, and then we've said potentially harmful for each subsequent age group. Andy, do you want to give us an example of why accessing deep web might be a good thing? And then I could think about an example of why it might be a harmful thing. Yeah, I mean, it ties in very nicely with what we were just talking about in terms of bypassing controls and things. For example, say you were a 15-year-old who wanted to learn more about gender and sexuality and similar. However, your parents were homophobic and they had monitoring systems in place. So you knew that if you were accessing via um, Chrome, for example, then your uh, browsing behaviours would be captured and reported to your parents. You probably wouldn't want to do that. Um, so you might download and, and use Tor browser, which isn't generally intercepted by monitoring software because it hides um, and bounces you around. So you have a level of privacy. Yeah. Uh, bounces you around the internet, so you have a level of privacy. Um, so you might be, you know, which is, as you said, why it's in the education category, you might be exploring and learning and accessing information for perfectly reasonable reasons in order to buy, bypass technology that, that is in place. And I know you certainly had conversations during this project with, with LGBTQ um, young people where they've talked about exactly this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that that is a really important thing that it provides a space for those young people to explore that before they're perhaps ready to talk about it to other people. Um, I think there's, you know, as much as I think we've made a lot of progress in terms of teaching young people about sexuality, you still have to understand the words before you can express mm -hmm. what you are. And if a young person feels like, I really don't want anyone to know that I'm exploring what asexual means, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the deep web to do that. Um, mm -hmm. That can be a really positive thing. On the sort of uh, flip side of it, it, it can be a it's, a it's a high risk place to be. It's it's uh, you know unfiltered um, and a lot of crime does happen on the deep web. When when illegal things happen on the deep web, it's generally referred to as the dark web. So. You might hear people talking about dark markets where um, drugs and um, firearms are sold um, illegally and untraceably. Um, and that's why it's got to be potentially harmful, because until you know what a young person is doing on the deep web, you're not going to know if they're innocently exploring, you know, terminology and and um issues around gender and sexuality or something similar or whether they're actually thinking great where am I going to get my coke from <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think with that as well you, you know dark web deep web stuff uh, generally is a kind of like uh, a projected hysteria so a teacher will hear about dark web and the only time they've heard about it before was when they did a training course and on that training course someone talked about how the dark web was bad and the reason for that was the person delivering the safeguarding training went on some police advanced safeguarding training and the police said that they'd captured some paedophiles on the dark web yeah so so you have this like projection of, of hysteria rather than thinking well basically what it's doing is hiding your your uh, location and your browsing history yeah the most one of the most popular deep websites is facebook um, uh, why right. is that? Because there's an awful lot of regimes that, that don't want you accessing Facebook. So people will use a Tor browser to access Facebook. And I don't think there's going to be too many people going, that's terrible, we shouldn't let young people access <laughs> Facebook. 
Um, the, the drugs example is always given out, but as both you and I have had many conversations with young people about, you're just as likely to buy drugs using Snapchat or using WhatsApp yeah. as you are to go on the, the deep web. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you can get into some really interesting conversations, as one young person said to me, you know, if we're talking about risk, what's better, buying drugs online or buying drugs from the dark car park where someone's going to beat you up and, nick you, <laughs> uh, and leave you with some tea or something? Yeah. So, um, so, so you know, if, if we're taking a, a harm reduction or a risk mitigation approach to these sorts of things, these blanket statements of it's bad because you can do bad things on it, um, aren't really helpful because there's yeah. a lot of very legitimate reasons why people would be doing it and as you say exploring it is the is the most important thing they, you know when when people come out and say the tor browser is bad it's like well well it's not it's it's a piece of software that allows yeah. you to anonymously browse the internet yeah and you know i think if a young person comes to you and and says like i've been on the deep web learning about this the the way that I would see that is they've come to you because they're ready to talk about it. Um, it might be that they had bad experiences um, in amongst that. They might have spoken to people who perhaps weren't, you know, weren't taking due account of their age or their maturity. Um, and that might be something that you need to discuss with them. Like, how do they feel about it? How, you know, how are they feeling now? Did anything bad happen? And put the, you know, requisite support around that. But I think, just the mention of the deep web shouldn't set our yeah. safeguarding <laughs> process going. And I, I think, you know, that there is some education to be there. If, if you are talking to someone who is accessing illegal, dodgy content um, in those spaces, you know, they need to be reminded that the people you're uh, interacting with might be um, fellow anonymous internet users. They might be the police because the police do go into these um, dark web areas um to interact with criminals and to gain intelligence on criminals in order to catch criminals so yeah so it, there is a, a an anonymity but the spaces within it that are illegal will be monitored or investigated as well it doesn't give you the yeah. top launch to do anything you want with absolutely no chance of interception or capture so there's a, that side of it as well but yeah but yeah it's, it's definitely one of those things where you need the conversation because just someone saying they they they're on the dark web, which sounds cool to their mates as well. Yeah. Um, and it turns out they just downloaded a game or something. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that's the other thing to remember is that most people will use the terms deep web and dark web interchangeably. <laughs> what we're saying is dark web equals illegal. Deep web is just masking your identity and, and your IP address and that kind of thing. There's so many crime dramas and things that chuck dark web into it, so it sounds cool to say you're yeah. on the dark web. Oh, look, oh, I've seen it on Silent Witness. It must be bad. It's like, well, well <laughs> all you're doing is trying to find a copy of a film. <laughs> yeah. And in the conversations I have with young people about buying drugs online, the ones who have done it have bought their drugs on Instagram or Snapchat. Yeah. Like, I don't know any young people who have bought drugs on the dark web and arguably that is more dangerous because social media sites work really hard to shut those accounts down. And so the the people selling drugs there know that there is going to be absolutely zero um, comeback. You know, they're, they're not looking for good reviews. They're not looking for <laughs> repeat custom. Um, they know that they've got one shot to, to you know, target young people in this area and then they'll be shut down and yeah. they'll move on. Um mm -hmm. 
so yeah if a young person is buying drugs on the dark web it might be that actually they've got a bit more awareness of the risks of buying drugs on social media but as you say like is is the dark web more dangerous than a dark car park yeah a pub car park or something and you know bear in mind that there's plenty of adults who also buy drugs using facebook messenger and things as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before everyone go, oh they, they shouldn't be doing it it's like well you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um excellent well hopefully that's kind of explored a little bit about um why that one is in potentially harmful we're now going to skip on to uh, the relationships and sex category and we've got uh, tracking friends um, through location sharing and also looking at partner's phone mm-hmm. um, which are potentially harmful for all age groups apart from 0 to 4 which we've said is not applicable for because I, I don't think a, a three-year-old is going to be able to set up tracking on a device <laughs> could be wrong <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've said it's potentially harmful for all the others. Andy, do you want to start us off with a little bit of why that's potentially harmful? Oh, I'm just going to climb on my soapbox a minute before I start this okay. bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I find this whole area, regardless of the age of the person, quite problematic because there are some you know, very reasonable reasons why um, there might be location tracking going on within a relationship or, or something you know i had a wonderfully uplifting conversation with the parents of someone who is severely epileptic who was basically housebound and but then they got him a trackable device and then he had greater levels of freedom because if he did have a fit somewhere they'd know where he was that's fantastic but the idea that by default if you're a friend of somebody or you're in a relationship with somebody you need to know where they are all the time strikes me as utterly bewildering and bizarre and um you know you get these sort of rebound conversations well if you've got nothing to hide why do you need why why are you worried about me knowing where because it's weird that's why (laughs) (laughs) um you know there was a the the apple trackable discs i can't remember the name of it's probably air something apples or air something yeah there was a case uh i think last week in the u.s where um someone murdered their partner after tracking them and discovering they were somewhere that they didn't like them being probably with a, okay. uh, 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 somebody else. Um, so they went over there and shot them. Um, so, but, but I think if we start these conversations early with young people about why do you need to do mm. this? Um, you know, you look at sentencing guidance around domestic abuse, GPS tracking is a, a corroborating factor or aggressive factor. If someone is using GPS tracking within a domestic abuse scenario, they are likely to get a heavier sentence because it shows a higher level of coercion. Yeah. Um, so it's it's well worth having those conversations with whatever age about well, why do you need to just because it's possible with a piece of technology. You know, you, you hear these heartbreaking stories of someone discovering all their friends around someone's house having a party and haven't been invited because mm. it's been on snap maps and stuff. Yeah. You don't need to know where people are the whole time no I, I just think in the old days when i was a kid many many years ago they go oh i'm going up the malls all right i'll see you at five. <laughs> no it's all oh, don't you don't need to tell me where i am because i know where you are the whole time because i've constantly got this map open which shows where you are that's weird yeah you know, we signed up to the un convention on human and the rights of the child in 1989 where we agreed children have a right to privacy and since the advent of safety tech we've argued that they haven't because we need to keep them safe yeah you don't keep them safe by doing that. You just know where the device is. 
Yes. And I think something that is really important about tracking anyone is that you are not tracking the person, you are tracking their phone. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was a teenager, my friends and I would come up with the the most sort of convoluted systems so that we could do things without our parents knowing. And it was, well, I'm going to tell my mum that I'm staying at Becky's house and Becky's going to tell her mum that she's <laughs> staying at Kate's house and Kate's going to tell her mum she's staying at my house and we can all just go out all night. Um, and, and working out which of my friends had the most grown-up sounding voice so that they could <laughs> pretend to be a parent even though all of our parents knew each other and would have seen through that very quickly. But, you know, the point is we were able to come up with systems to get around the the sort of safety things that our parents put in place. All a young person has to do now is say to their friend, can you look after my phone whilst I go off Mm -hmm. and do exactly what I want to do? And as, you know, we we may have said uh, on previous podcasts, um, that actually puts that young person in a more dangerous situation because then they're out somewhere without a phone, which should be their lifeline. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we we can set problematic behaviours quite young. Um, And, you know, and accessing devices as well. It's it's a conversation I have with both young people and university students. Give me a scenario where accessing your partner's phone them is a demonstration of trust mm. um now i know some people do actually each other's phones they are perfectly fine with it perfectly comfortable with it but when it becomes coercive and when it becomes you know problematic or or if you loved me i could look at your phone mm. that should be setting alarm bells going but if we if we badly role model these behaviors um you know it's kind of like how was your day it was fine. Well, I've looked at your phone and it says that you've seen <laughs> so-and-so and you didn't tell me you'd seen them. Therefore, you must be having an effect. You know, it's just like, yeah, there is information there. But why do you need access to that information? Yeah. And, and no one's ever been able to give me a, a positive reason why accessing a device is more more trusting than having a conversation with them about how their day was. Definitely. And and I think, you know, we spoke to a group of sixth form students not too long ago who were saying that they um, felt like with consent, um, you could look at a partner's phone and it wouldn't be a problem. Um, and they were actually talking about having had quite mature discussions around that consent. But I think it's always going to be potentially harmful because even if you speak to a young person and they've said, yeah, we've had a really good conversation about consent and when it's allowed and when it's, you know, when it's um, perhaps not OK and, and all that kind of thing. The question is, what are you going to do if they then say, no, I don't want you mm-hmm. to do that anymore? Because mm-hmm. then you're going to assume it's because there's something going on and yeah, yeah. and you know it it uh it sort of it's just setting up problems for the future so it's always going to need some sort of conversation with a young person if they're tracking their friends what are they going to do how are they going to feel if they see that all of their friends are at a party without them um mm-hmm. or um you know if, if they're um discovering that their friends told them they were going to be in one place and actually they went somewhere else are they going to feel like they've been lied to about that stuff Mm -hmm. um but there are potentially positive things um there was a situation on facebook a little while ago where um adults uh in a in a local Cornish community were freaking out about a young person having gone missing and I think all of the young people were like I can see exactly where this young person is she's not missing <laughs> and you know in that sense that can be a that can be a positive thing if if you can kind of say 
this person isn't missing we, we can see exactly where mm -hmm. they are it's fine yeah but i think there's there is something specifically about local pages where you see those sorts of things all the time and it's like oh they just went to their mate's house it's like you didn't need to post that on facebook and yeah trigger a manhunt yeah absolutely but, that's that's probably for a different podcast but... uh, yeah i was gonna say there's a, there's a bit of a can of worms there that i feel like i could really get into with, uh, yeah yeah it's things. like the people who post up does anyone know what that, that van's doing and start accusing people in transit vans of being dog thieves well someone oh. was telling me recently about a friend of theirs who posted a have you seen this dog thing but the dog that had gone missing was from somewhere three or three or four hundred miles away yeah, yeah, from where yeah, the person yeah. lived yeah shared it shared in MP and it's like but the dog was yeah disappearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no but but I, I i just think there's an example that stuck with me which was talking to a couple of students about sharing passwords in relationships and, and this one uh, young man said he he really ended up being burned badly as a result of it because his girlfriend at the time had access to his various social media accounts and then they split up he forgot she still had access to them he started seeing someone else and his ex-girlfriend accessed his social media accounts downloaded a bunch of intimate images of his new girlfriend and shared them across the university yeah no clearly that ex-girlfriend broke the law by doing that yeah but um that whole thoroughly unpleasant situation could be avoided if rather than going if you trusted me i i need access to all your social media accounts you went no that sounds quite coercive so maybe we shouldn't have a relationship anymore. yeah yeah <laughs> and and that's you know it's that thing of saying to a young person do you think you're going to be with this person forever and sometimes mm. they'll say yes of course can't, can't I know, uh, which, which again ties back to, you know, decent, progressive, effective relationships, education. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not something we really have too many conversations about. And I think that's, um, that's I, I find it amusing that if I start a conversation with young people, I saying is privacy important to you? They will generally say no, because they've got nothing else of any interest to anyone and they don't care and stuff. And then you go, can I have a look at your phone? No. <laughs> yeah. Like, why not? Because it's private. It's like, oh, it's because no one's had a conversation with you about privacy yeah. rather than, you know, you don't really grasp what privacy is. So when you're talking about, you know, it's your device, it's not, um, it's not your device plus anyone else who wants to have access to it. Mm. And they don't need to know every single conversation you have, just like you don't, you know, go home to your partner at the end of the day and and give them a list of the people you've spoken to and what you spoke to them about that yeah occurs in conversation if you have a a secure relationship rather than one that's based upon fear and coercion which um, definitely seems to be where a lot of these digital surveillance behaviors come from but yeah. if you've never had a conversation with young people about that's quite problematic and maybe they're used to being tracked by their parents then they probably are going to find it accepting yeah and that's it and and you know we we've kind of got these behaviors appearing from six years old because actually children if they've uh, got access to their own devices they might be tracking friends locations it normalizes it it makes it mm. something that they're not going to question when they're perhaps 15 and they're in a relationship with someone who does want to um, know everything about where they've been and who they've been with and why they were there and I need updates from you all the time so yeah. that I don't worry and um, that we don't want to normalize that we don't want to make that you know, something it, it fits in the same category as you've got 10 minutes to reply to my text message else mm. 
you know, it's it's all coercion and control at the end of the day. Um, and that's a really important part of relationship education. Yeah. That isn't well discussed or explored. No, absolutely. Well, um, we'll we'll sort on of that wrap happy up. note. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap up on the potentially harmful behaviours there. As I said at the beginning, the once you identify a behaviour, if if you see that it's potentially harmful, you need to have that conversation. You need to find out a bit more. Um, sometimes you might say this is going to need an intervention, but it doesn't need a safeguarding referral. And other times you might say, um, you know, this is this is a really a really big concern and we do want to um start safeguarding and other times you might say oh actually i thought this was really worrying and it turns out it's totally fine and i think a lot of the time as well it's kind of like oh that's interesting maybe we ought to do something in class about that yeah as well if you if you were in a school Um, which seems like a great opportunity to plug project evolve so if you are um (laughs) a a teacher and and you you recognize something and you think actually i'd really like to do a lesson about this um you can access project evolve who have mapped their lesson plans onto the online resilience tool and so you can see um you know what lesson plans would actually go with this behavior Um, and i will put a link in the show notes to um project evolve so that you can get all of that information Okay, have you got anything else you want to add, Andy? I don't think so. Just don't go sharing your passwords with anyone. Don't share passwords, yeah. <laughs> good good tip to end on. Brilliant. Um, well, we will be back soon with an episode on not harmful behaviours. That's it for another episode of the Online Resilience Podcast. If you liked it, please tell someone you know who might also enjoy it. You can share on Facebook, Twitter, or even just pop a link in an email. Yeah.